Well, in our series going through the book of Acts, we've been looking at how the Holy Spirit forms the Jesus life in us as we follow Christ. And one of the things that we see in our readings this morning is that one way that the Holy Spirit forms the Jesus life in us is through call. Have you ever wondered what God's call is for your life? Have you ever wondered that? Perhaps some of you sitting here this morning are wrestling with that very question. I know that it's a question that I've wrestled with in a very serious way at different times in my life. But this question raises another question. And that question is, how can we discern God's call for a life? How can we know what he's calling us to, whether for a particular season or for the long term? How can we figure that out? Is there some neat little formula that we can somehow plug the variables of our life into that will shoot out a neat little clear answer? Or is discerning God's call for life simply a matter of growing in wisdom so that we can somehow figure that out on our own? Or is there something more? Well, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that there is something more. And as we look at our readings this morning, and in particular as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we see that there's something more that we need to be open to and attending to is the voice of God. The voice of God. So as we look at God's word this morning, my goal is to see what insights we can draw from the example of St. Paul as we reflect on this question of how to discern God's call for our lives. That's what we'll be up to. And toward this end, I want to focus on the last part of Paul's address in Acts chapter 22. But in order to really understand that, we'll first need to take a step back to look and talk a bit about the surrounding context. So let's uh, take a look at Acts 22. And the passage I want to focus on is nestled in the context of Acts 22, verses 1 through 22. And in this passage, we have the first of Paul's five defenses, which are recorded in the book of Acts. In this speech that Paul's giving uh, before the crowd who had just tried to kill him in front of the barracks, what Paul's doing is he's, um, he's addressing them, and he's trying to defend himself against the charge that he's a Jewish apostate or rebel or, or renegade. He's been accused of being anti-Jewish and of basically corrupting Jews all over the world. So what Paul is doing in this address, he's trying to explain why it is that he does what he does and why it is that he isn't guilty of what they're accusing him of. But Paul, being the missionary that he is, also uses this as an opportunity to share with his beloved, if misguided, fellow Jews about their Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. But again, rather than focusing on the, uh, Paul's defense as a whole this morning, what I'd like to do is focus on the last part because I really think that there are some things that we can learn about how, God, how to discern God's call for our lives by looking at how Paul, God led Paul in his life. So let's take a look. Verses 17 through 21. When we catch up with the Apostle Paul in verse 17, he's continuing his explanation of why it is that he does what he does. He's sharing with the crowd about how after his conversion to Christ on the Damascus Road and his subsequent commission to be a witness to all people, uh, he's sharing that he eventually made his way back to Jerusalem. And this trip to Jerusalem most likely occurred three years uh, after his conversion. We read elsewhere that during this time in Paul's life, he experienced some intense opposition from the Jews in the city there. They even tried to kill him, and the reason is because, uh, just as in our present context, they thought he was a a renegade, and so they tried to kill him. And it was apparently at this time in Paul's life when he most needed God's direction and support that the risen Jesus, the same Jesus who appeared to him on the Damascus Road, appeared to him here again, and this time in a vision, as he's praying at the temple. So what I want to explore is What can we discern about discerning God's call for our lives 
as we look at how God led Paul for his life in this passage. And I think there are three main points that we can glean from this passage. And the first point is that need and qualifications do not necessitate call. Need and qualifications don't necessitate call. Paul was keenly aware of the need that Jewish people had for someone to witness to them about Messiah Jesus. In Romans 10.1, Paul says that his heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites was that they may be saved. So not only was Paul aware of the need that the Israelites had, he was also passionate to meet it. Paul was passionate. He wanted to witness to the Jews. He longed for their salvation. Then our passage, God speaks to Paul in a vision and tells him basically that he has another plan for him. Well, how does Paul respond? Well, Paul protests. He says, Lord, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. So what's Paul saying here? What's going on here? What Paul's basically saying is this. Come on, Lord. Come on. Look at my qualifications. I would make the perfect witness to the Jewish people. I was such a zealous Jew, even to the point of persecuting Christians to their death. Surely, God, you must have overlooked something here. Well, how does God respond? God responds by saying, go. Go. I am sending you far away to the Gentiles. So we see here that although there was a genuine need that Paul perceived, namely of the Jewish people needing someone to witness to them about Messiah Jesus, and even though Paul was eager to meet this need, God was calling him to something else. So what we can gather from this story is that need does not necessitate call. But we also see that although Paul took himself to be uniquely qualified to meet this need, God knew that in fact he would not be the best witness to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. God knew that his testimony would in fact be rejected. So God sends him elsewhere. God has other plans for him. And so we also see that qualifications don't necessitate call either. Now before continuing, perhaps a little clarification would be helpful. The point here isn't that need and qualifications have no role to play in our discernment of God's call for our lives. On the contrary, these are really important factors for us to consider as we're trying to discern what God's calling us to. The point here is simply that need and qualifications don't necessitate or guarantee that this is something that God's calling us to. And so what follows from that is that we need to be open to a broader range of considerations as we're trying to discern God's call for our life, just as Paul eventually was. So that's, that's the point. Uh, but just so this isn't too abstract, I'll share a little story from my own life just to illustrate how, how this can, uh, can play out uh, in kind of our contemporary world. Um, from about 2001 through 2008, I thought that God's primary call for my life was to be an ambassador for him in the discipline of academic philosophy. Uh, why was that? Well, part of it was I saw that, uh, first of all, how dark the university could often be. Even though I had a wonderful time as an undergraduate at Cal Poly, I saw that the university could often be a very dark place. I also saw that many of my peers were very impressionable, in particular were very, often very uh, easily um, influenced by the professors. Furthermore, I saw that many of my professors often had an agenda, and even though I think they were sincere and they thought they were doing the right thing, in reality they had an agenda of, of promoting a worldview that was really contrary to Christ. And one example, I, one of my professors who I got to know shared with me that he thought that belief in God was a philosophical virus. He thought that belief in God was a philosophical virus, and those in his class who had a discerning eye could see that this is something he was really trying to impress on his students. And again, he probably thought he was doing the right thing, but what this illustrates is that I perceive there was a really clear need here. 
But beyond that, I had passion. I loved philosophy, and I also loved the opportunities it afforded for kingdom ministry. So I, I, I was really excited about this. But beyond that, I also took myself to have some qualifications. I did really well as an undergraduate. I distinguished myself in various ways. I was encouraged by my professors to go straight to a PhD program. Uh, but uh, I also wanted some biblical and theological education, so I ended up going to Talbot School of Theology to do a master's in philosophy and, and distinguish myself there. and was really encouraged by my professors and uh, something that happened after I graduated there, I, I had the opportunity to present a paper at Oxford University, and so I'm thinking, wow, this must be God's call for my life. Look at this blessing. Look at this opportunity. That paper got published, and, and, and so forth. And so I was thinking, wow, in, in light of the need that I perceive, in light of my passion to me, in light of my qualifications, this must be God's call for my life. Well, what do you know? God something had something else up his sleeve. And in, in reality, to be honest, it took me a while to be open to that, because I was so impressed by the need, and my seeming qualifications, that it really, I mean, God gave me leading for a period of time, probably years, but I was just treating it as guilty until proven innocent because I was so impressed by these other factors. But eventually God broke through, uh, much as he did to the Apostle Paul. Maybe I'll share a bit more about that later. But that's just an example to illustrate that um, uh, we need to be careful to not assume that just because there's a need and just because we have qualifications that therefore we're called to that. Now, maybe, but maybe not. So the point is that we need to be open. So that's our first point. Need and qualifications don't necessitate call, so we need to be open. But this, this first point is really kind of like a cautionary remark. It's kind of like a sign at the beach that says, beware of sharks. It tells you where not to swim, but it doesn't necessarily tell you where to swim. So how can we not only avoid the pitfalls of discernment, how can we take steps forward in discerning God's call for our lives? Well, that leads us to our second point. And the second point is that a crucial way of discerning God's call for our lives is by listening to the voice of God. A crucial way for discerning God's call for our lives is by listening to the voice of God. In our passage, we've seen that Paul had been assuming that his call was one thing, but it turns out, in fact, God was calling him to something different. Paul thought he was called to evangelize the Jews in Jerusalem, but God spoke to him in a vision and told him to go because he was sending him far away as a witness to the Gentiles. So we see that Paul's discernment of God's call crucially hinged upon his listening to the voice of God. And repeatedly in the book of Acts, we see this sort of thing. We see that listening to the voice of God is crucial for discerning God's call. Think of uh, the example of Cornelius uh, in his vision in Acts chapter 10. Think also of Peter's vision in the same chapter. And those are just two examples of many so although it would be too strong to say that the only way to discern God's call is by hearing God's voice, that's, that's much too strong of a statement. Nonetheless, from the repeated witness of this sort of thing happening throughout the book of Acts and also elsewhere in Scripture, we can safely conclude that Paul's experience here in Acts 22 is not anomalous and that listening to the voice of God is a crucial means of discerning God's call for our lives. Again, this isn't the only means, but this is a very important means of discerning God's call. Okay, well, this point is reinforced by our, our gospel reading. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that the sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. The sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. So what Jesus is saying here is that God's people listen to his voice. And the passage goes on to say that the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Isn't that intimate language? The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And the passage continues... It says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. 
So if we want to be led by the good shepherd, we need to listen to his voice. And this passage is speaking in general terms, but I think the point equally applies to this more specific case of call that we're talking about. So again, this reinforces our point that a crucial way of discerning God's call is by listening to his voice. I'm sure at this point many of you are thinking, great, that sounds great, but uh, how do I do that? How do I hear God's voice? Or maybe put a bit differently, how can I become the kind of person who can hear God's voice and recognize it? These are good questions. This takes us to our next point, which is that living a life of prayer provides context for hearing God's voice. Living a life of prayer provides context for hearing God's voice. Let's go back to Acts 22. Now, what do you notice about the circumstances in which Paul heard from God? You notice anything? Paul was in prayer when he heard from God. Paul was in prayer. In verse 17 and 18, Paul says, When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Now, some might think, well, you know, maybe that's an incidental detail. But if we look at the context of the book of Acts, we'll see that 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 can't be the case. Why? Well, again, we see this pattern throughout the book of Acts, not to mention elsewhere in Scripture. Again, uh, think of the revolutionary message that God gave to Peter while he was engaged in private prayer, Acts 10.9. And think also of uh, when God spoke to Cornelius when he was in prayer, Acts 10.30. And again, those are just two examples. So we see this pattern in Scripture, that when people are in prayer, they're more apt to hear from God. When people are in prayer, they're more apt to hear from God. Isn't that cool? I think that's pretty cool. One commentator sums it up like this. He says, this is perhaps to be expected. God who wishes two-way communication with his children will find our times of prayer when we are attuned to him as suitable occasions to break through to us. Prayer gets us in tune with God, therefore receptive to his leading. Let me say that again. Prayer gets us in tune with God, therefore receptive to his leading. So how can we become the kind of people who can hear God's voice and recognize it? The answer is, spend regular time in prayer. If you read about the life of Paul in Scripture, you know this episode in Acts 22, it's the norm, not the exception, right? Paul was a man of prayer, and the letters he wrote, they're filled with prayer. So it's no surprise that God was able to break through to him and give him the direction that he needed in his time of need. Paul had tuned his ear to hear God's voice, and he had a habit of making space to be with God. Prayer was part of the very fabric and rhythm of Paul's life, just as it was for Cornelius and Peter. So in summary, if we want to hear God's voice, we need to spend regular time in prayer because prayer creates space in which we can hear God's voice, the voice of the good shepherd. At this point, we face a problem, and, and the problem is that many of us, when we think of prayer, what do we think of? We think of talking, Right? Now, I'm not against talking. Talking is very important. That's a very important, it's a crucial aspect of prayer. But the see, the problem is if we're always talking, how are we ever going to listen? And if we're never listening, how are we ever going to hear? So when you think of prayer, don't just think of talking. Think of talking. Don't just think of talking. Think also of listening. Prayer involves both talking and listening. I don't want to just leave you with an exhortation, so I want to give you an idea, something you can try in your life, as, as, as some, something to give you some tracks to run on, as a way that you can try to create some space in your life to hear from God. And I want to suggest a practice that I found very helpful. I call it the Samuel practice because it's inspired by uh, the story of the young prophet Samuel in the Old Testament, which is one of my favorite uh, stories in the Old Testament. And, and the practice is this. 
set aside some time that you can spend in silence. Set aside some time that you can spend in silence. And try to find a place where you won't be distracted. Now, for some of you, this might be harder than others, especially if you have young kids. But try to find a place where you won't be distracted. And it's probably best if you spend some time in prayer before that, whether it's centering prayer or praying the Lord's Prayer, so you can kind of be in tune, so you can be kind of focused and centered. But once you kind of feel you're in a place of of being focused, uh, what I would recommend you do is that you say, Lord, just like the young prophet Samuel, Lord, if there's anything you want to tell me or anything you want to show me, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, if there's anything you want to show me or tell me, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is something that you can try in your life. And I would recommend setting aside uh, a decent amount of time. Now, if you're experienced with silence, this could be an extended period of time. If you're new to this sort of thing, maybe try five minutes and see how that goes. And just try to listen and wait and just be in this posture of openness and listening and being in tune with God. Now, this isn't something, again, this isn't, um, you don't feel like you have to do anything. This is, again, this is a time just to being in God's presence and for you to listen. Okay, and as you're in that posture of listening, I would encourage you to be attentive. I do find that um, although God can speak to us in bold visions, as Paul experienced and as several people in Scripture experience, what I find that often, for me, most often, God speaks to me through what we might call his still, small voice. And frankly, it's amazing to me how small that still, small voice can often be. I mean, I'm serious. There are so many times, I mean, had I not learned to dial down, as John Wimber used to say, or to quiet down, uh, most of the time I'd totally miss God's voice. It's only because I've learned to dial down, to quiet down, and I've learned to recognize his voice uh, that, that now I'm more, more inclined, more apt to hear it. Uh, but really, frankly, it's, it's very, often very soft for me. And so what follows from that is we really need to be attentive. And oftentimes, uh, again, I used to assume that if God wanted to speak to me, it'd be through a burning bush or a booming voice, and he can do that sort of thing, but often it's very subtle. So what follows from that is we need to be attentive. Uh, and just another point on this. This might be helpful to know that I find that God often can speak to different people in different ways. So uh, one of my friends who I see sitting in the congregation, I won't embarrass him, but I know that uh, God, when God speaks to him more often than not, it's, it's visually. He kind of gets pictures or little movies, little, little visions. For me, it tends to be more auditory. I tend to literally hear words like Paul heard in this uh, passage, although Paul both heard and saw. So all that to say, it's important that we learn, each of us learn how God speaks to us. And as St. Thomas Aquinas pointed out, grace tends to build on nature. So if you tend to be more of an auditory person, I wouldn't be surprised if you tend to hear more, tend to be more of a visual person. I wouldn't be surprised if you tend to see more. And there are other ways that God can lead. I wish we had time to talk more about this. But the simple point here is that you need to learn how God speaks to you. And this can take time, so give yourself some patience. But this is the Samuel practice as an opportunity for growing in that. So again, the point of this practice and of this sermon is not that we should all expect big visions, although we should be open to that, but we shouldn't. that's not the point. The point here is that a crucial way of discerning God's call for our lives is by listening to the voice of God. Uh, And we also saw that need and qualifications, all those are important things to take into consideration. Uh, Those don't necessarily mean that that's something God's calling us to. Maybe, but maybe not. So what we need to do is we need to develop sensitivity to God's voice by living a lifestyle of prayer. And again, the Samuel practice is simply a way of helping us make space for God and tuning our ear so that when he does speak, we can recognize him. Well, I want to close with a story of how this has worked in my own life, and again, as I think I alluded to before, that uh, discerning God's voice isn't something that necessarily was natural for me. Like the young Samuel, I had to learn, I had to grow in that. And um, you know, for me, what's been important is living a life of prayer, as we've been talking about, and making space not only to talk, but to listen. And the Samuel practice has been one of the things that's been helpful for me. 
But uh, just to kind of finish my story from before, God made clear that he was calling me to pastoral ministry as my main focus. And um, when that became clear, I was, I was a part-time pastor at a church in Northern California. And uh, so I sat down, and actually that was, I was seeing that as just a temporary thing. I, I took a hiatus after uh, my master's program uh, so my wife could do a master's herself, and I was going to do a PhD program after that. But anyway, so I, I sat down with my senior pastor to share with him my, my sense of God's leading. And when I shared that with him, he was very excited. He was, he was very enthusiastic, and both he and I and my wife, we thought that probably what God was leading us to, he was probably calling us to stay at this church and for me to go full-time. And the reason is, one, uh, well, I was here serving at this church when I got this call from God. Two, we were seeing fruit in our ministry. I mean, we were seeing some people come to Christ and some people healed and delivered and growing in various ways. So we're just seeing fruit. We're like, wow, this is probably evidence that this is what God's calling us to, to stay here. Uh, furthermore, we're getting affirmation from people in the congregation. And all signs just seem to point that this is probably what God was, was calling us to. Well, <laughs> what do you know? God threw me another curveball. And what happened was, so when I, when I spoke with my senior pastor, he, he took uh, that question to the elders, and they decided they were going to pray for an extended period of time, several months, actually. And during that time, Ansley and I were praying, too, seeking God's will. On this, initially, we thought, this is what God was calling us to. We were looking at houses. We're thinking, we're probably going to put down roots here. I may be here for a long time, probably go full-time as a pastor here. And what do you know, over time, we just started getting this growing sense, this impression that God might have something else for us. At first, we kind of dismissed that. We thought, what's a, you know, this is a sense. What do you do with that, you know? But in time, that grew to such an extent that we couldn't dismiss it. And then the climax was one day I was sitting in my backyard, and I was just kind of in silence and prayer, and just kind of in a prayerful state. And I, I, frankly, this has been, hasn't been many times I've experienced this in my life, but I, I got a vision. I just, I don't know where I got a vision. And it was like, um, it was not like one of the visions like John had when he got the book of the Revelation. It wasn't like that kind of vision. I mean, I mean, I knew I was in my body. I mean, it wasn't like that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> am I in my body? Am I not in my body? No, it wasn't that kind of vision, you know. But I was still vaguely aware of my surroundings. But it was like this movie unfolded before my mind. And in this movie, uh, it was, I saw it was like as though the camera, if you will, was zoomed in, focused on this honeybee. And this honeybee was pollinating a flower. But then the camera zoomed out, and I saw that there were these other flowers. And immediately what I knew at that moment, and I can't remember if I heard this or I just immediately apprehended it, but immediately what I knew at that moment was that God was telling me that I was like that honeybee, and that thus far I'd been called to help pollinate the flower that was Monte Vista Chapel, that was the name of the church, that there were these other flowers, and that therefore I was only there for a season. Now, it seemed pretty clear to me that that was from God, but I wanted to test it out, so I ran it by several people who were very discerning, and each one of them said, I really believe that was from the Lord. And I met with my senior pastor, shared with him my sense of leading. He said, you know, that's really interesting. He said, well, I just met with the elders, and he says, you know, when I walked in the meeting, I was going to ask them to hire you full-time. So just when I walked in the meeting, I felt a sense of pause in my spirit. And he says, so he uh, asked the elders what their sense of leading was. And um, what they shared was that they believed that God was telling them that I was called to ordain ministry, but that I was only there for a season. They felt like they heard God say I was only there for a season. So God really confirmed that in a very strong way. And um, so all that to share, I, I share that just, um, just one to encourage you that God does still speak today. Now, again, we, don't, we shouldn't have any real expectations. He can speak in bold ways or subtle ways or whatever. That's, that's his deal. But uh, I just hope it encourages you that God does still speak today, one. But two, that by living a life of prayer, it really does make us more apt to hear God's voice. And the things that we've been talking about, the things we saw in the life of the Apostle Paul, these things are very helpful. Living a life of prayer, listening, not just talking, but listening. So I hope that encourages you uh, as, 
you know, as you seek to discern God's call for your life. Well, in closing, I just, I just want to pray for us. Lord, I ask that you would show each of us uh, what you're calling us to in this season. I ask that you would help us to be open to whatever you have for us. I, I ask that you give us ears to hear whatever you want to say to us. May you encourage us. May you draw us close to you, Lord. May you take us to a deeper place of intimacy with you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.